Welcome everyone back to the Rehumanize podcast. We have a exciting uh, episode today. Uh, I'm Emiliano, and we've got with us Herb. Say hi. Hi. And our guest today is Amy, uh, the famous, the only uh, Amy Murphy. Hi, Emiliano and Herb. I'm glad. There's to be probably here. multiple Amy Murphys. Oh, presumably. But this is the most I, famous one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is my favorite Amy Murphy of all the Amy Murphys that might exist. Our favorite Amy Murphy. I mean, uh, how many of the Amy Murphys are A-I-M-E-E? That's true. As well? A substantial portion. I get notifications, you know, because I have my name set up for, like, the Google News. Um like mentions and I I get mentions like I, I I see other other Amy Murphys spelled my way so they exist. Hello, other Amy Murphys, if you're listening. Yeah, it's nice that you get news about them so you can yeah. keep, keep up with what they're doing. <laughs> In Spanish, uh, that's called a tocayo or toc- tocaya. Tocaya, yeah. Um, Welcome on, Amy. So we're going to talk to you about your big project right now, your book and your tour. Um, So tell us a little bit about the book to start out with. Uh, This has been a project for a long time coming, I know. Uh, So how, how did it end up happening like right around the overturn of Roe and, uh, you know, along with all of these other consistent life ethic issues that we're dealing with right now as we're, you know, like bombing ever more countries and, you know, we're uh, hurtling towards World War Three. So did you did you plan this, Amy? Was was this all you just to, to uh, get the book sales up and be like, look, pay attention to uh, all these bad things. I'm going to fix them right here. For uh, the small price of, I don't know, $20 or something. Goodness gracious. Um, (laughs) This book has been in the works since at least 2017, um, maybe earlier. And no, like I definitely did not hope or plan for more continued violence. Um, And I think... I I honestly was a little skeptical that Dobbs was going to end up overturning Roe. Um, so when it actually happened, I wasn't taken by surprise, but um, it you know I definitely was like, oh, now I got to go back and already uh, write a second edition of the book because the <laughs> the first edition, like if you have the book in your hands right now, the first edition says. The Supreme Court is currently debating a case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Services. Uh, we'll see what the result is. So, you know, it's it really is a it's just a whole cluster of different life issues all sort of coming to a head. Um, and I think really getting the attention that they deserve. Um, and my hope is that my book can really help to bridge the 
polarized partisan uh, landscape that we have when it comes to politics in this country. And, um, you know, as the U.S. as a hegemony, like as it kind of spreads around the world. So, um, yeah, this book has been in the works for a really long time. And when I was able to step down as executive director and Herb took up that mantle so graciously, uh, it allowed me to take that step back from the crucial leadership tasks that needed to happen to continue to run this organization to be able to really focus on publications and in particular this book. Um, so I really, you know, put my nose to the grindstone, uh, not this past January, but the one before to make sure that this book could get published. Um, and our goal was to secure a contract by the end of 2021. And, um, so I pitched the book to several publishers, uh, midway through the year last year when I had the book about 50% complete. And um, New City Press really stepped up and said, you know, this book is a perfect fit for our new Magenta series. We want to get it under contract. And in fact, we want you to turn around a complete manuscript in three months, um, which was a beautiful challenge for me to be able to finish all the research and the writing and uh, submit everything for final edits and advanced blurbs and stuff like that. Um, so honestly, like it, it just kind of fell into place um, once New City Press got their hands on it. So um, really grateful to them for taking a chance on me as you know, it was my first solo book. Um, especially with such heavy topics like those that are covered uh, in the consistent life ethic and in this book in particular. Yeah. And I would also say that this is sort of a, a, a great moment for this book to come out with attention on a lot of the, the issues that are covered in it um, with Dobbs and with um you know, tensions heightening in, in Ukraine and that region and um, with the end of the, the semi end of the, the war in Afghanistan, um, that, the, that this is a good moment where people are talking about all of these issues or some of these issues. And um, it, it can be a good touchstone to point to this new book and say, hey, here's some background on a lot of this. You might have never engaged um, intellectually with the abortion issue much, here's a great resource for you in this post-Dobbs world to hear about the pro-life position, um, as well as with all of these other issues. Um, but I would really say that it might feel like, oh, well, this is the moment. Um, but really, these topics are always important um, and always worth talking about. Um, and I think that almost any time at least that I've been involved in this work, you could have said, oh, wow, this is the perfect time for this to be released. And I, I kind of gauge that in the way that constantly 
I hear people say, you know, I tell them what I do. I talk about the consistent life ethic and they say, oh, wow, you must be really busy right now. Um, and right now they might be talking about Dobbs or Ukraine or, um, you know, a whole host of other issues. But in the past, it was, you know, every time Trump did something um horrible and new policy related to immigrants or um, comments about nuclear weapons um, and the potential to, to use them um, or, you know, all of this, uh, all of these other things, um, as well as abortion, constantly different legislation is coming forward. And um, the, you know, every day there are thousands of human beings killed by abortion, whether or not the national media is focused on that issue or not. Um, these issues remain important and relevant, um, kind of whether or not people are paying attention to them. So we're always working on them. You know, I, people will say, oh, wow, you know, insert current event here. You must be really busy. And it's like, well, yes, but we're just always really busy, whether or not other people are talking about, you know, this injustice, we're always talking about it. And we kind of mm -hmm. appreciate when the national media is is picking up on some of those things. Exactly. Uh, and I think, you know, for this moment, we do have so much uh, national media attention and therefore national and international conversation around these issues. Um, but it does kind of present an opportunity for us uh, to tie it back and say, you know, have you heard of the consistent life ethic? Like, yes, there is so much awful violence that is happening in the world right now. Um, but we think, you know, and we hope that we have a better proposition for the world, that we have a better way um, where each and every human being will be respected, valued and protected. Um, so I do think it's, you know, like, yes, we are always busy. It's always the moment for these conversations. Um, I think we're just also really lucky right now that the world is also paying attention to these things. So it creates good inroads for mm -hmm. us to, to start these conversations and, you know, introduce the consistent life ethic in an approachable way. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, can you tell us exactly how you do that? Explain a little bit about what this book actually is. It's not you know, the, the consistent life ethic is very broad, so it could be a lot of things. Um, but what, sure. what exactly am I going to find when I open this book? I ask as if I haven't read it like 15 times now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this book is essentially a, a textbook, a primer, a resource material uh, that I hope activists will come back to again and again uh, in their education and in their work for building, um, you know, a, a world beyond violence. Um, so to start, uh, you know, the book opens with an explanation of what is the consistent life ethic? How does it respond to our partisan political landscape? How does it impact our daily life? Um, you know, like, what, it, what does it look like? And how does the consistent life ethic or how do consistent life ethic adherence respond to aggressive violence? You know, like what, what constitutes just defense and, and then, um, you know, uh, how do different people come to embrace the consistent life ethic? You know, like what are different ideological backgrounds that people might come from um, that still lead them to a consistent life ethic philosophy? 
to basically show that we are a broad-based movement. You know, we are a, a movement that can be every human standing for every human. Um, sorry. From there, each large section that follows covers um, a form of, of violence in a given context. So we start with ending violence reproduction, um, followed by ending violence in war, uh, ending violence in response to crime, and ending violence in response to disability. <laughs> um, so in the ending violence in response to reproduction, we cover embryo destruction and abortion. In ending violence in war, we cover war making and military torture. In ending violence in response to crime, we cover police brutality, torture in the justice system, the death penalty. And in ending violence in response to disability, we cover euthanasia and filicide and assisted suicide. Within each of those chapters, um, you know, I really break it down to the most basic level. What is this form of violence. Um, you know, some people don't know how embryo destruction happens, um, you know, through uh, the creation of excess, quote unquote, excess embryos in in vitro fertilization um, and other assisted reproductive technologies to the discarding and use of those embryos and then killing of those embryos through embryonic stem cell research. You know, like a lot of people don't know how that process actually happens. Um, and yet the topic is still a hot button political issue. Um, you know, like I, I also explore like how executions are performed, what drugs they use. And one of the things that I really try to draw connections on is like, how do these different methods of killing actually transcend uh, you know, these categories that I've laid them into. And, you know, we, we find out that the same drugs that are used to kill um, incarcerated people on death row are also some of the same drugs that are used to kill elderly and disabled patients um, in the process of euthanasia and assisted suicide. And we see these connections kind of come out um, but we also see connections in terms of like what forms of discrimination are being used in these systems to sort of dehumanize and quote unquote justify the violence to the perpetrators, to the state, et cetera. So there's is some exploration of ableism and racism, um, even a little bit of, you know, exploration of sexism and those sorts of things within those larger chapters. Each of those chapters also ends with um, discussion questions and suggestions for further reading to really break open this topic in the context of a group read um, or even individually, you know, just to get some internal reflection going on after, you know, the reading of such heavy material um, to really help readers ask themselves, you know, what did I think about this issue beforehand and how did reading this material um, shift my thinking or help educate me or, um, you know, give me more things to think about um, in relation to this topic. 
Um, so it really is already built for that sort of read, which is, uh, that, that's exactly the sort of reading group material that I'm, I'm looking for when I'm doing, um, you know, activist circles and stuff like that. Um, and then the final section is ending dehumanization, rehumanizing the world. Um, and those final two chapters, resisting the enculturation of violence and put these ideas into action, explores, I think, the hope that we have in the consistent life ethic and how we can put these ideas, uh, how and how we can live these ideas in the context of our own local communities, because we understand all politics is local. Um, we understand that the most pressing work that we can do begins, you know, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, um, and you know, it begins at the most basic level of community. Um, so, you know, I, I'm excited about, about what this book offers. Um, I also think that because of the heavy use of citations, there's more than 500 footnotes um, in the entire book that I think it should prove to be a useful, um, a useful textbook, a useful resource book for activists in the years to come, um, you know, that it shouldn't be the type of book that you get through easily. I don't think, you know, like all of these topics are so heavy that they kind of take, um, they kind of make you pause and, and really reevaluate your values. Um, but it should also be the type of book that you come back to, to, um, you know, refresh your memory about an issue or, um, help you learn how to dialogue more effectively, um, you know, by, by bringing up facts and logic and, you know, a solid and consistent philosophy of life. That sounds really great. And I like the idea of discussion questions as a teacher that is something that I think is important to put like little breaks in there so people can digest and reflect because I think also, you know, I don't know, we can get in like a, a reading, like a very like Protestant work ethic, like reading, uh, vibe reading ethic where you just try to like knock it out as quick as possible. And I feel like this is uh well-designed good, good, like, uh, you know, broad ability, uh, accessibility to break it up a little bit and let people think about things, um, and not have that temptation to just like rush through it and, uh, get on with their lives. Yeah, it definitely doesn't lend itself <laughs> to that for sure. Speaking of uh, rushing around, you're going to be, uh, doing your tour. Yeah, I am so excited about this. Um, so the day that we were recording this, um, I from the day we're recording this, I have 13 days until we leave for tour. Um, 
and there's so much uh, packing and planning, uh, you know, still left to fit into these two weeks before we leave. Um, but we currently have planned stops in 43 cities across 32 states um, with over 13,400 miles to be traveled. Um, and oh my goodness, I am hoping that the war in Ukraine ends and the gas prices continue to drop so that, um, you know, we can use our donors' um, funds that they have given most effectively. But I am so excited for this because the opportunity that it presents to bring the consistent life ethic to local communities and to really inspire action on a local level um, at a time when it's really easy to feel overwhelmed. Um, I, I am just so stoked for this, especially given the fact that we have at least two new Rehumanize affiliate chapters um, that have just signed on in um, Chicago, Illinois, and Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so I'm so excited. We're going to be doing stops with both of them in addition to Rehumanize DMV and Rehumanize Toronto. Um, so, it, you know, it, it really speaks to me about the work that we have to do being um, you know, like in, in our communities where, where we live, you know, the, the change doesn't just happen. In fact, I would say it doesn't even primarily happen in the halls of Congress or, um, you know, like on Capitol Hill. And we need to, to really live out these principles locally. Um, and when we engage in community action that reaffirms the central principles that we believe in. Um, I think we reify it, you know, and we um, really solidify it in our minds and in our hearts. Um, and so I think that there's a, a really powerful opportunity that exists here um, that I'm hoping will, will really bear good fruit in the years to come. Um, yeah, I, I am so excited. I, I know I'm already looking forward to, um, the, the stops that are, are coming up in Detroit and South Bend, Chicago, Madison, et cetera. You know, I, I've been on the phone with contacts around the country, setting up events for just weeks on end. Um, and they're all so excited. And I think that's just another thing that um, really encourages me is hearing all these local folks who are so excited to bring this, this book in, to bring me in as an, as an author, um, you know, but just to bring this topic to their community in an approachable and accessible way. Um, it's really exciting to see, you know, grassroots activists who are so passionate about these issues and who are so excited about bringing them to their community. Um, it honestly like is reinvigorating for me as an activist to see local activists who are so passionate 
and so excited. Um, so even though I'm going to be, I'm sure like a little physically exhausted from being on the road for 90 days, I think, um, you know, emotionally and, um, you know, just mentally, it's going to be really reinvigorating for me as, as an activist and, um, yeah, just as an individual. If you want to find out about the 40 plus stops that I have planned, um, in this tour, or if you want to support the work that we're doing in the tour, um, I think we still have $3,000 to raise to help cover just, you know, groceries and gas while we're on the road. Um, that URL is rehumanizeintl.org slash book dash tour dash 2022. Um, if you go to our website though, um, you can find it under events. Um, if that URL is too complicated for you. Um, but yeah, I, I would appreciate any support that you have. And if you find your city on any of the, the stops or a city near you, um, on that stop list, please, you know, come out to the event, stay tuned for event details and, um, you know, feel free to email me or DM me on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at rehumanize Amy. And hopefully we can meet up and help make excellent, consistent life ethic things happen in your city. Again, that URL is rehumanizeintl.org slash book dash tour dash 2022. And if your city is not listed, feel free to also reach out and maybe we can set up another event after the book tour um, where Amy can either come or even just do a Zoom talk if you're like somewhere really far, um, like international, uh, international that's not Mexico or Canada, um, and we can try to we can try to set something up for your your local group too if you are interested in that. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I, uh, you know, before the pandemic hit, I actually had plans to travel to Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been over two years since um, that event pitch. So I don't know. I, you know, I'm up for going international. I have to get my passport renewed. But we do want this to be an international movement. So, you know, even if it has to be a Zoom call, we'll make it happen. And so you have uh, helped write uh, other books before. And you are like the head contributor to the life matters journal. So you've written a lot. How is this book kind of different from those other projects that you've been working on for like decades now? Um, you know, I'd say a lot of the other projects that I work on are tend to be a single issue ish. Um, you know, a lot of the articles that I've written for LMJ and, uh, you know, the white papers that I've contributed to um, have largely been um, approximately single issue, um, you know, and they really require a lot of very particular research for one particular issue. But um, I think 
the ability like for those other um for those other publications to really focus on um one issue in particular um lends to a, a really excellent you know like starting and ending place um and with this book i felt like it could have been an additional 200 pages and that still wouldn't have covered everything that i really wanted to cover um and thankfully my editor came in and was like hey amy we want this to be an accessible book can you please keep it to around fifty thousand words and i was like okay so i had to cut several tens of thousands of words from the book um even though i still feel like i'm you know missing material and can write several other books on these various topics um you know there was always more research that i could do always more depth that i could get into um where i felt like you know these this work could be never ending and so um so at some point you, know, you have to I guess end I have to be thankful. Right, exactly. Well, and for the average reader, they're not going to read a 500-page book about a, the consistent life ethic. Um, you know, but they might pick up a 200 some page book about the consistent life ethic. <laughs> um, especially if if it's presented in bite-sized pieces. So, um you know, I have to be grateful to my publishing team for uh, reining me in and keeping this book concise and to the point, um, <laughs> because I'm sure I could have let it go um, for many, 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 many more pages. <laughs> I also will say that... Um, this does differ from the other book that we had published in that um, A Consistent Life, um, which we published with Mary Grace Coltharp um, back about five years ago, well, four years ago, that it really is meant to be sort of a planner for activism. Um, it is meant to be almost like a week by week um day minder to help you help give you to help give an activist ideas about things that they can do in their daily life to help promote a consistent life ethic to help promote human dignity and peace and justice uh in our world and uh, I actually am hoping to revisit that book in light of having published Rehumanize um, because Rehumanize is really just such, such like a, a ground level entry to the consistent life ethic. Um, you know, it's a great educational resource um, and we talk about activism in it, but the activism ideas that are presented in a consistent life um, really do allow readers to sort of break open that content and um, put the ideas into action. So I'm hoping to revisit that um, and maybe publish a second edition um, in 
the next, I don't know, few years. We'll see. Um, because, you know, I think it's a, it's an excellent place. You know, it's an excellent, it's an excellent companion to rehumanize. I think they make an excellent set together. Um, so if you're looking for a, a little gift set for activists in your life for any of the upcoming holidays, um, you know, maybe consider getting them like the two, the two books together um, because they really do make a great educational starting point and activist starting point um, together. So um, even though they are, you know, highly different in the precise content and, you know, even the, the layout and things like that. Um, I think they make a, a perfect pair. Peas in a pod, if you will. So Amy, I think that as a consistent life ethic activist for the past, what, 15 years um, or more, you obviously know a lot about all of these issues uh, that, that are discussed in the book, but I'm sure you also had to do a lot of research into them to um, to to create. I, I think you called this like a textbook almost. Um, and so mm-hmm. I guess I just want to know what in your research did you find most surprising or interesting, or you know, just tell us a little bit about that because I think that all of us as activists we have a lot of base level knowledge about these issues um but what what did you learn beyond that as you were writing and researching this book gosh one of the facts that really sticks with me is like the head price of human lives um so in the context of war um, one of the things that I discussed in, in the chapter on war making was the way that the military um, basically frames collateral damage in modern wars uh, because there is uh, legislation that exists um, where essentially, uh, people who have lost loved ones in wartime can submit claims like uh, almost like insurance claims to the military, um, basically stating like you killed this person, you know, uh, and we are owed, um, justice for their death. Um, so to, to read a brief section, um, the human costs of war are numerous and many extend long after the war is fought. The U S and other international forces quote, regularly pay out cash when their troops inadvertently cause the injury or death of civilians or inflict damage to property. End quote. While these payments are certainly a necessary step in redressing wrongs, they are they also often end up revealing the dehumanizing nature of the military's treatment of civilians. 
Even when the claims are accepted, they are often still objectifying, as in the case of one claims receipt that listed death of wife under the heading supplies and services under quantity, the numeral one, and then listed the quote unit price of the woman as $2,500. So these are people in countries that are victims of U.S. aggression can submit a basically a a loss of life claim loss really what it's like is like a a loss of breadwinner income claim right Right. it's like sorry well uh we took you know your main source of sustenance so here you go or emotional damages i guess right well and it's, it's it was brutal to read like oh like the military views the loss of a wife of you know potentially a a mother um you know community member of a human being at $2,500 and that just gutted me blew me away to hear you know like the the quote-unquote like price of a human being and i know you know we see this sort of thing when it comes to you know like the cost of abortion and like the the cost that insurance companies will place on lives when it comes to medical care you know oh like we'll we'll give you you know the medication so you can perform assisted suicide but we won't continue covering your uh you know your cancer treatment or, you know, whatever other medical coverage you need. Like these dehumanizing fiscal calculations that come into play, um, you know, in, in all these different circumstances, um, but particularly in that example, um, just really struck me. <sighs> um, the idea of putting... Um, you know, a particular price, but also like a, even, you know, like uh, some sort of justice payment as one so low um, was just wild to think about, um, you know, and like something that came up in conversation around the book uh, only recently was, you know, if we'd been waging war in another country that had um, it perhaps more affluent or whiter or English speaking, um, you know, combatants or, you know, folks behind enemy lines, would the military be willing to, or, you know, be co- forced into paying out more money? And, you know, would we see a valuation of lives differ based on class, based on skin color, based on religious backgrounds, like that sort of thing. Um, because it, it's, you know, like this, this racism and xenophobia are so just pervasive uh, in our culture. Like, would that be something that would happen? You know, I don't know, but, um, it was a really interesting 
thing to to bring up and to to consider um, in this conversation is you know like how are human lives valued differently, um, particularly by the violent industries like the military industrial complex or the abortion industry, that sort of thing. Was there anything that you came across in your research that maybe was a little more hopeful? Do you have anything? Because I think that when we talk about these issues, um, we were at a, the launch event for the in-person book launch a while ago, and someone mm-hmm. described this book like, mm, it sounds like a bummer. Um, and I think it definitely is, but uh, I, I, I guess I want to give you an opportunity to to combat that a little bit, um, because I think it certainly is is a bummer. You know, it's like anything interesting you find, and then you just talk for five minutes about the most depressing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, but it's not all that. Like, I know <laughs> as an activist in this space that it's not – it's not all negative and it's not all a bummer. Um, so what about, mm-hmm. you know, what about the other side of that? Is there anything positive? Cause we're, we're coming up to um, when we gotta, we gotta close out this episode and I'd love to end mm-hmm. it on a more positive note if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in my research and in my, you know, in my experience as an activist, the things that do give me hope, are the broad coalitions that are coming out of continued education, um, you know, against violence. So, you know, like we're against violent industries like the prison and and policing industrial complex where, um, you know, we have uh, people who are educating on the value of non-carceral solutions, of restorative justice, um, and that sort of thing, you know, like seeing, seeing those efforts, um, was definitely something that I pointed to, like in further suggested reading, um, you know, seeing broad-based coalitions of, um, you know, both conservative and progressive anti-abortion activists, um, you know, is also something that gives me huge hope. Um, I think the more that we, talk about these issues across party lines and are able to build these diverse coalitions um, that really speak to um, I guess like the urgency of action. Um, I think the more hope that I have, um, you know, cause you understand, you know, when the house is on fire and you need to save lives that you can't go around doing litmus tests, that instead we need to figure out the best solution, um, to save the most lives and get to work. Um, and so, you know, like, yes, like existing in activist spaces can be messy, um, because, you know, I think everyone's just doing their best to get educated and um, take action. And, it, you know, with practice comes making mistakes and, you know, then learning and, you know, you know, coming back to the table and figuring things out. And, you know, it's like, it can be so 
hard to see the trees through the forest sometimes as an activist and being able to step back and like see the work that these organizations are doing um particularly like in the process of research like seeing potential policy solutions and potential just like organizational like community organizing solutions um for going forward um was something that brought me a lot of hope you know like that there are people who are out there doing the hard work and doing things in their communities day in and day out um I want to say the the big final thing that that really gave me hope um, was um, I read the book How We Show Up for part of my research for um, the final chapter or you know put these ideas into action and um, just reading about what it means to like be an activist in the context of community um, was a thing that brought me so much hope and so much peace. Um, Just like seeing that um, how we care for each other on the most local level um, really does make the biggest difference and that we are made for community that our freedom is made for community that it's made for others that it's made for um you know like love in the context of community um that was just such a beautiful thing to learn about and um i think it gives me so much hope for the world that we're building ahead of us. All right. That does sound like a positive note to end on. And so I don't want to give you any more time to bum us out. So I think we should close out this episode as soon as possible. Um, wait, 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 wait. No, I remember what I was going to say. Um, an even more positive note to close out on. Um, tell us about Martin Sheen. Oh, no. So <laughs> this is being recorded on the day of the Martin Sheen thing. I'm registered. I'm excited. I'm going. Uh, I'm trying to, like, get my mom to go. And, uh, <laughs> like, if, if we're not getting them for the consistent life ethic, we're getting them for Martin Sheen. So, I mean, surely you had to talk through, like, a publicist or something. Or just, um, like, we're just, like, actually, messenger no, chatting with Martin Sheen. We're... We're pen pals now. Um, we have a mutual friend um, in the consistent life ethic space, um, which is so beautiful. He's been an endorser of consistent life network for years. Um, and I was able to send him a copy of my manuscript. And he, so he did, um, you know, a blurb in the book. And um, I asked him, you know, because at one point he was like, oh, you know, we should sit down and have a chat about like activism and stuff. And I was like, oh, I would love that. Would you mind if we did that with another friend of mine on Zoom so other people can like listen in <laughs> for my book launch? And he was like, oh, of course, um, which, you know, he's he's such a, just a generous person um, who understands how bringing his voice to the table 
helps bring attention to the other voices at the table. Um, so I'm so grateful that he's going to be showing up for my launch, which is being recorded tonight. Um, and I know that this episode will come out after it and everything. Um, so if all goes well you know, and technology yeah. works, you should be able to watch it probably on our YouTube page. Yes, you will. You will be. We'll be trying to record it. Um, and so hopefully you'll be able to watch after the fact if you didn't tune in already. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful. It still blows me away that um, like that Martin Sheen has read my book. Um, that's just like such a huge compliment. And it was very, very humbling, um, especially because it was it was not even the final draft of the book. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the final draft of the first manuscript, which um, <laughs> was six months ago. So um, I don't know. I'm excited. I think that hopefully, you know, it will it will bring attention to the consistent life ethic from folks who wouldn't normally listen to to what we have to say. So um, hopefully, this is a a great start for. You know, I'd say the the next big wave of consistent life ethic action. Thank you so much, Amy, for having us on. And I will see you later today with Martin Sheen and uh, everybody else can uh, watch it later on YouTube whenever, whenever it comes out. Thanks for having me on, Emiliana. <laughs> you're, you're like our, our favorite guest. Our, our, our most frequent guys, anyways. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. And um, I don't know, I'm grateful for our, all our supporters and listeners, too, for continuing the momentum and, you know, continuing the, the necessary work right where Tell you are. Where uh, people can find the tour information. Yeah, that's rehumanizeintl.org slash book dash tour dash 2022. Because there will be more in the future. Yes, though, and there will be many more events that will be linked um, in all the various cities um, where, you know, we'll have like event bright pages you can go register at and everything. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope to see you on the road. I'm excited. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. This was the Rehumanized podcast with Emiliano and Herb, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.